It's Monday morning, and you know what that means. No, not the start of another dreary work week. It's time for building a better Cheyenne. So get out your hammer, your hard hat, or maybe just a cup of coffee, and let's get building. Hugh, Ken, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing a-okay, Dan. Hey, stole the words from my mouth, Hugh. Like, exact phrasing and everything. <laughs> Very happy to be back in Cheyenne on this beautiful March 19th. Friday, so I'm looking forward to the weekend. I got an icebreaker for the two of you, Dan and you today. As you know, I spent two days and nights in Laramie hotel hopping before I could get back to Cheyenne with I-80 being closed and all. And I was so excited when the second place I stayed at had a hot continental breakfast. It felt like that was like kind of proverbial finish line for like this pandemic is almost over so long as we keep being smart about things, get as many vaccinated as possible. And when I saw that breakfast buffet open and the waffle maker station, I was pumped. And for me, like nothing beats like a nice, it's funny on the waffle maker, they have like it advertised like Belgian waffles. I'm like, is it, was this manufactured in Brussels? Like, are we flying it straight in? <laughs> Too. Well, it's a it's a hotel breakfast bar. You have to believe that it's straight from from Brussels, Ken. I mean, come on. I like the confidence in how they pitch it. <laughs> it's got to be like a double decker Belgian hotel waffle maker with some either fruit cut up if, if you're fortunate enough. If, if you're talking a really good place, they might have a couple like strawberries and berries there, like that a little whipped cream, all today. Um, Hugh, what's the special sauce for your morning routine? Well, as as you know, Ken, I am faithful to the oatmeal breakfast, so I haven't been using too many breakfast spreads recently. More of a lunch spread kind of guy. Mm. Throughout high school, there were not very many great vegetarian options in the lunchroom. So every day I had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch and never got tired of it. And I know that uh, (laughs) could be... uh, Controversial for you, not able to have peanut butter, unfortunately, but, uh, you know. If I got a nearby, maybe. <laughs> Did you ever venture over to the salad bar here? Oh, yeah, some some days. Good, good salads, too, but all the ingredients in a salad bar kind of can get mixed up. and It gets a little, eh. That's true. It's always pleasant to know what's in the tuna salad or how the tuna salad <laughs> is made, should I say. How about you? Camera, go ahead. So my breakfast <laughs> my breakfast spread is always oat crunch cereal with oat milk. So I'm getting a lot of oats because I'm allergic to milk and then fruit. Mm. <laughs> Michelle, how about you? Yeah, so I like to go pretty hearty on <laughs> my breakfast. I really enjoy a Mexican style spread. <laughs> so um, I'm all about the, you know, the huevos rancheros, the chilaquillas. So load up the protein, avocado, eggs, all of it. I'm down for it. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'll, I'll finish up the breakfast conversation before I have to make a quick run to the kitchen to grab something to eat. But <laughs> <laughs> so as far as an actual spread, this isn't my favorite, but this is one of the worst things I've ever had in my mouth. And <laughs> when we were in Australia, they have a jarred spread called Marmite. 
think of like Nutella or kind of like a peanut butter, right? They just put this stuff on toast, on crackers, but it's yeast based and it mainly tastes like yeast smells. <laughs> and they put that stuff on everything over there. And me and Angie tried it and we're like, we're good. Thank you. So, but as far as my favorite breakfast, I'm a breakfast burrito go-to guy. That's my, my favorite breakfast snack. Brunch time during the weekends is make your own breakfast burrito. That's my favorite thing to do. And so with that, we'd like to introduce to our guests, Tamara Moore and Michelle Coronado, respectively the executive director and Cheyenne coordinator of Unaccompanied Students Initiative. USI is a 501c3 nonprofit seeking to aid the young homeless population in Laramie and the Trona counties. USI's purpose is to provide safe, stable housing for high school students ages 14 to 20, experiencing homelessness who are unaccompanied. Tamara and Michelle, so glad to have you on the show today and welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. Glad you guys could join us. Would you please tell us the history of the USI up to now and let our audience know a little bit more about your personal and professional backgrounds and what you bring to uh, help USI forward and help the students that you do? Yeah, so USI started out in 2015 with the Strong Families Action Team here in Laramie County. And Denise Ryden, our homeless liaison, actually it was her big dream to put this together for us because the McKinney-Vento Act actually identified 32 homeless youth at that time. And they're like, we need to help these kids out. So we did a pilot home, thankful for Holy Trinity Church, who provided the pilot home for us. We had our first couple, and then we also had our first three kids. And from there, we expanded into our twin homes. So in 2019, Gateway built a huge twin home to house five boys and five girls. And then along comes Edward Ernst, who just decided to donate a home to us, which we call the Natalie House, to house an additional five youth. And that was right around Christmas time. So it was a big present for us to have that. And then I stepped in and started developing as a VISTA in 2018, the funding development coordinator. And so I was helping a lot with policies, structure, and getting us on our own nonprofit status with the IRS. So we obtained that in 2019. Very nice. Knowing that we've got two other VISTAs with us right now, what, what made you want to become an AmeriCorps VISTA? Um, just that building capacity and sustainability. And it made me laugh because when I went over to Montana to be a VISTA, they're all like, you're the oldest here. What's going on? You have kids. <laughs> But no, it was a great experience and I would do it again. And it was such an honor to have the opportunity in my hometown because it just had posted as a funding coordinator for both my front door and USI. So I was lucky to not have to travel. But yeah. Very nice. I would recommend being a VISTA to anyone gaining and wanting experience in the nonprofit world. Nice little plug there. And Michelle, what about you? How did you come to the USI? Yeah, so I'm actually from Denver, and I graduated from Metropolitan State University in 2017 with a bachelor's in criminal justice and criminology with a sociology minor. And, you know, Denver, as we know, is very competitive. And my husband was looking to Wyoming to help open up a restaurant. I wasn't tied to anything after I graduated. 
So I figured, why not? Why not go to Cheyenne um, and see what I can do there? And honestly, because of my passion for juvenile justice, it made sense to apply for the coordinator position at an accompanied students initiative just because I want to be able to help them succeed on an individual level. You know, sometimes we group our kids up together and that's not necessarily fair just because they have experienced similar trauma does not mean that they have gone through the same thing or emotionally or physically. So they have all experienced trauma differently. You know, I'm a, my philosophy is that we have to do better in our criminal justice system of stigmatizing these youth. It's very hard for them. These kids aren't bad kids. They were unfortunately given a deck of cards. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best for them. And so that's why I want to be able to help benefit these youth and and set them up to succeed, create an individualized transition plans so we can work on what exactly are you needing? Well, that, that's, a, that's a great point you mentioned about the stigma as well. Just because a student may be in a bad situation doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad student or a bad person, right? They're they're just dealing with life the way everybody does, unfortunately. And sometimes, like you said, it's just the luck of the draw. Right. And I think it's also important to realize that because they may share similar traumas, they are different and they should be treated differently. We should cater to their strengths and improve on their weaknesses. And along the lines with what Michelle is mentioning there, a great book, if you want to do some um, reading on this topic, is There's No Such Thing as a Bad Kid. I, I forget his real name, but I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. And it's written by a guy named Titus O'Neill. He is a great flanch fist in the Tampa Bay community. Had a very tough upbringing, but that's a big like thesis of his life's work. In other literature, more like scientific studies, I got the chance to read survey is hidden in plain sight, homeless students in America's public schools. And some of the statistics were pretty staggering in there. 60% of homeless high school students said it's hard to stay in school. 68% said it was hard to do well. And 42% had dropped out of high school at least once. And 50% had to change school at least once, others multiple times. And COVID-19, as is the case with many things in our society, compounds these challenges. In the article I saw in January from Wyoming Tribune Eagle, it was cited that an 11.4% drop-off occurred in the number of homeless students in Laramie County School District 1 graduating on time from 62.3% the year before down to 50.9%. Um, Michelle and Tamara, could you walk us through the ways in which school districts and other stakeholders can help high schoolers on the margins in these pandemic times? And what have your insights been into the unique struggle that these unaccompanied students endure? You know, I think first and foremost, the awareness is very important. So before our school districts and our stakeholders can help, you know, they need to identify and know and understand that homelessness among youth is a real thing. In regards to COVID, it is a lot harder to identify these homeless youth because they're no longer in school. Another part that we have noticed that is a little bit difficult is once we do have our youth that are interested, the intake process is also being delayed due to COVID testing. 
But I think in regards to the school district and the stakeholders and how they can help on the margins in these, you know, pandemic times, it really is making sure that they are aware that homelessness is a problem and then also that they're finding the right resources for us, you know, in regards to the Comia shelters or in regards to the food pantry. A lot of our organizations here in Cheyenne reached out to us, which is amazing. You know, Trio, Goodwill, the independent living program has reached out to us during the pandemic and said, you know, what are you needing? How can we help you? And so through the awareness that like, hey, that this is an issue, our community has been able to utilize their resources and to really help out. Yeah, we have some negatives with COVID and that impact. Honestly, we're seeing more positives than negatives because our community is coming out and saying, how can we help you? What are you needing? And in return, we're getting that support. Our schools, you know, our kids don't go to school in person anymore, so they're doing it online. That gives our house parents that chance to be like, okay, let's sit and have a structured time for you to do, you know, five hours of this, a two-hour break. And it also builds that connection. When you're dropping a kid off to and from school, you get, what, five, ten-minute conversation, if that. But now our house parents are, you know, on the clock 24-7 with our kids, and they know our kids better, you know, than, than me as a coordinator because they are with our kids all the time. And our youth see that. They see that, hey, I have that strong support system. Another thing when you're thinking about like the insight of these youth and how they're struggling, they're struggling due to the lack of basic necessities, right? So you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first two steps of the pyramid is food, water, and then safety. And so that's what we've been able to provide from that because of our community and because of, you know, the awareness of the school district and saying, hey, this kid is needing your help. Another thing that I have noticed with our kids is sometimes it is very overwhelming. You come from a place sometimes that don't have any support, any structure, or you're trying to find your next meal. And then we open our home to this abundance of support, it's overwhelming. You know, I've never had this support before. Why are you asking me 21 questions? Well, I'm asking because I care for you. You know, that's a, that's a big concept that our kids, unfortunately, um, struggle with in transitioning into our homes. They're no longer in that survival mode, but in the, oh, wow, I can breathe. What's next? That is such an interesting like point you bring up there because um, for many of those students, self-sufficiency has got to be the only thing they know mm-hmm. or like an evolving, adapting to like fit their needs. And then when an environment is provided, that could, that's quite the startling transition there. Yeah, I, I kind of just want to speak uh, a little bit to, to the awareness part of this problem and in, in the study that you cited earlier, Ken, hidden in plain sight. I personally didn't know that there were homeless students until my senior year of high school. And that could be like, how could you be unaware of that? But I 
I really didn't know until we had this senior class day of, of like bonding and and one student was very brave and he said that his family had lost their home and he was currently living in hotels and he wasn't unaccompanied he was with his family but it just like hit me with like a ton of bricks and I, I was like thinking of all the stuff that was going on at the time it was senior year we were like applying to colleges and there's all these social activities as well and I was like how I just couldn't fathom how he could manage all of all of that while going through this incredibly difficult and unstable home situation. So my heart really goes out to the students and your organization and incredibly grateful for the work that you all are doing. Pivoting a little bit, last year before COVID, you opened your second teen home in Casper, Wyoming, the Casper Lighthouse in February of 2020, which was a collaboration with the Highland Park Community Church, as well as the Natrona County School District and the local housing authority. And reflecting on the past year, along with COVID, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've learned from opening up that second home? And in what ways has the struggle of, of COVID strengthened your relationships between the different team members involved in that project. Taken from the words of Corey, who's our CASPER program coordinator, we are grateful for social media because we were just geared towards right before COVID hit, let's go out and hit all the places, spread our awareness. And they're like, well, halt. So now we had to come up with ways to do newsletters and think outside the box with our social media and advertise and talk about us. So it was a huge shift for us. And as Michelle mentioned, intake with kids was, was difficult to even find them for several months up in Casper because school wasn't going. So it really was just trying to get Highland Community Park because they're huge in the Casper community to talk about us and share what they know with other stakeholders in Casper. And I think to add on, you know, as, as crazy as this may sound, the pandemic, it put in perspective the severity of getting these youth into a safe and stable environment. Yeah, I, I, I would echo that sentiments about what the pandemic has showed us, not just for homeless youth, but I think affordable housing and housing security in general has, has really highlighted how important having somewhere safe and secure to call a home is. Well, and you're right, Dan, like to talk about the churches closing down, then that takes away homeless family opportunities to stay somewhere. Yeah, we earlier today, we recorded Rachel Martinez, the director for Family Promise of Cheyenne, and she definitely mentioned that it was a struggle for them with the churches and, and how it was great that a lot of the hotels in the area stepped up to, to really help them out. And I know Comia had to, had to use some hotels as well, and it was ended up being a great partnership and and hopefully that'll open some eyes for some people as well. And and speaking of partnerships, you've you've kind of already mentioned how they're how important they are in the nonprofit community here in Cheyenne and how it helps to work together. One of those partnerships that that has come together for you guys just recently was with the Wyoming Hunger Initiative led by First Lady Jenny Gordon. She put you guys in touch with the Food Bank of the Rockies to ensure steady supply of nutrition for your students. 
You then nominated the Hunger Initiative for the Compassion and Action Award, which was given to them mid-February at the governor's residence. Tell us how critical it is that we continue to both demonstrate and reward compassion in our community. And could you tell us a little bit more about the rewarding organization Compassion Cheyenne does? Yeah, so I just, first and foremost, we can't do it without our community. And so our youth feel supported outside of the homes. And that's, that's imperative because sometimes you think, oh, only one person cares about me. But then you go out and you see everyone in support of you and, and the you know, compassionate Cheyenne. And it, for a youth, that says a lot for them of like, hey, you're not the only one that wants me to succeed, that everyone else is in my corner. So Compassionate Cheyenne actually started in 2015, like ourselves, which is phenomenal. I joined the group. It's just volunteer based in 2018. And it's just to nurture and grow compassion in Cheyenne. And our goal is just to reach out and find out what is the response to compassion in Cheyenne? And how can we recognize those around us who are portraying compassion? And so we do the Compassion in Action Awards. So we just recognize those who help. So if you ever know of someone that you want to nominate it, just let us know. And you can reach out and talk to us on our Facebook page of just Compassionate Cheyenne. And we are always posting compassion quotes, things that were happening around our community on our Facebook page as well. Tamara, is um, Ed Banish still heavily involved with that? He is, yes. Because I know he was one of the, kind of the founders of of, of, of that. And I got to meet him at, one of the Cheyenne Dave giving kickoff events a couple years ago. And he was such a great guy to get to talk to a little bit. Yeah. What a wonderful man. He started off and has set the vision and goals. And there's been about eight or nine of us that have been pretty consistent within the group. We're trying to get more members. We would love to have others just to get involved in spreading the awareness. We are developing our own bumper sticker that kind of says you matter on it. So people can recognize us with our logo. <laughs> Very nice. Branding is important. Yes. I actually did have one more question for you. You know, Michelle, yesterday in our conversation about our upcoming Affordable Housing Awareness Week, there was talk of the continuum of care aspect of helping homeless people. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what the USI's process as far as when a student might be ready to transition away from USI and what that process looks like? Yeah, most definitely. So the nice thing about my style is I'm very individualized. So I I want to cater to the youth and what they're needing. So I would say after they've settled into the house and their comfort level, I meet with each youth probably a month to two weeks into our program. And I sit down and I ask them three things. What do you already know? What would you like to learn in your time? And where do you see yourself in in three months and six months, depending on how far that kid can, can look out? And then after I get a good understanding of the skills that they want to learn, we create a transition plan and that will help them to transition out successfully and hopefully independent living on their own, you know? And so we meet once a week or every other week, depending on on the kid. And I'll sit there and say, okay, do you have a job? No. 
Okay, well, do you have a resume? No. Well, have you ever been in an interview? No. Okay, first, let's do that. Let's work on your resume. Let's learn how to do an interview. Here are some questions that are generally done in an interview. Here are some possible answers that you can reply to. And then we want to teach them the job application process and more so nowadays because it is online, right? We also want to teach them healthy habits like cleaning, hygiene is is a big thing. And their transition plan is catered to them. So it might take a youth six months to move out. It might take a youth two months, you know, each youth is different. And so through the support of our house parents and meeting with me on a regular, they develop all of those tasks that they wanted to learn. You said you wanted to save $2,000 in your savings account. Well, first, let's open up a checking and savings account. First, let's get you a job and here's how you save type of thing. Very good. And and so once they leave the house, is there follow-up with them to make sure that they're still following their plan? It depends on the youth. We do ask if we can stay in contact, you know, about a year to two years to, to follow up with them. Some of our youth are all about it. Some of our youth would prefer not to be. So depending on their comfort level, yeah, I will reach out to them, you know, after three months to see how they're acclimating to their new place. Sometimes they're just needing extra support. So us and our house parents will will provide that to them. And we let them know just because you have moved out of the USI house does not mean you your support ends there. If anything, you know, it intensifies because we know what you're capable of. But yeah, we generally follow up a year after they have been released, seeing their job retention, seeing how they're doing in their new place. Their mental health is a big thing that we check on. Again, only if they're comfortable with that. Then I do let the youth know that just because you just got into the house and we're talking about transition plan, don't get scared that, oh, okay, when are we transitioning you out? You just got here. I just let them know we really want to cater to you and what you're wanting to learn here. You know, yes, there are the basic things that you need to know for independent living, but there's also so many other things that I might not know that you want to know. I think it's it's important that they advocate for themselves and we help them do that. Very nice. Anything else to add? I think I think that's all. Um, just as Tamara said, sponsoring a youth is is a very big deal for them. Some of our kids, you know, have goals of trying to raise enough money to get a car. Sometimes a sponsorship it helps them and say, hey, I'm going to match, you know, depending on the sponsor level, I'm going to match this much so you can get a car or I'm going to support you on a weekly basis and, and help you get where you need. I think that's one thing we're, we're looking more of sponsorships for our youth. We currently have four male youth and one female youth that are in need of sponsoring. And people can find that information at your website, correct? Yes, which is usinitiative.org. Perfect. Now that we're beyond our kind of like main section, we like to wrap up our time with guests with more like lighthearted questions and plugs for um, future events. Michelle, it is my understanding that 
you and your husband own a food truck. I was wondering if you could give the name and brand of your food truck a shout out. And beyond your own business you have started there, what's your favorite food truck not in Cheyenne? Yeah, so my husband and I opened up Los Conejos Food Truck. He actually has an amazing partner. His name is Seth Stefanik, and him and my husband are are the owners. And they like to call it street fusion. So that's anywhere from tacos, bowls, burritos, and it just has a lot of Mexican cuisines tied with you know, new American cuisines. And as far as favorite food truck for me, I'm embarrassed to say I don't really have one. Um, I don't know, a food truck, that concept was definitely new to me. I'm a, I'm a big foodie and I, I love restaurants, but as far as food trucks, I did have to ask our Casper coordinator and she really enjoys the nice Chinese food truck that is located in Fort Collins. Um, I don't know the name, unfortunately, but it's important to support your, your local food trucks. Well, if you don't have a food truck, what's, what's one of your favorite restaurants then? One of my favorite restaurants is located in downtown Denver. It's called Guard and Grace, and it's located in the, the bank building in the Denver skyline. And it's just an amazing steak, um, steak restaurant. But yeah, it's called Guard and Grace. It's beautiful place. And Juan's food truck, the street tacos are amazing. <laughs> yes, they, they're good. They're addicting. <laughs> this podcast has made me, I'm so hungry today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Look, looking on the calendar, I see that USI has um, two events coming up pending. I'm not sure if the status of these has changed. A skills tournament in Cheyenne on April 17th and 18th. And also um, Cheyenne's 277 burn event on June 11th from 5.30 p.m. to 9. Would you talk a bit about what is um, in stake for those? Yeah, so the annual fundraiser at The Beast, it actually will start at 10 a.m. and it's a skills contest. The first one will be volleyball. So serving, hitting, spiking. Then we have on Sunday basketball, a hot shot contest, and then just different basketball skills, three-pointer, free throw. So we just hope that people can come out and, you know, compete, see who's better at uh, shooting and, and spiking and serving. <laughs> and of all those sports you mentioned there, which one's your strong suit? Basketball. I play college ball, so. Oh, nice. That's, that's got to be my weakest one. <laughs> <laughs> but Dan knows I'm not that great. I mean, I played against the guys with them last year or a couple years ago, I guess now. And it was fun, though. <laughs> it's hard to compete with the guys. <laughs> It, it was fun and, and she's a great teammate and uh, it made me realize that I am way out of shape from when I played competitive basketball in high school. So yeah, me too. <laughs> I was going to say, if you, if a skills competition, if you like lower the rim to like eight feet, I'd be up for a slam dunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are actually five age groups that we're trying to get. Registration is open. And we can register at www.beastfoundation.org. It's $20 for each participant. And we're just really looking to see who's got the skills. <laughs> and as for our Cheyenne's 277 burn event, we're really excited. We're trying to make this the biggest fundraiser in USI history. We're trying to raise money to help pay off our mortgage. 
So we're talking about local food trucks. Los Conejos will be there. And we have a couple of other food trucks, Noam's Table. It's it's a, a Greek type of food. And then we have live bands playing. We have concessions, activities. It really is a neighborhood night out to come and, and support our youth and our organization. And and honestly, we all need it. We've been stuck stuck inside um, due to the pandemic. And it, it'll be really nice to just get out. It's at Cheyenne Frontier Day in the garden. Beautiful venue. And it's just kind of a time for all the families, kids, get together and enjoy. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it will be. Sure. And before we um, let you go, and thank you again for graciously joining us. Um, is there any else on you'd like to say to our audience while you still have their ears well first we just really appreciate you all and being able to be on this building a better cheyenne podcast because it's awesome and we just can't thank our community enough for for stepping up and supporting our youth sponsor youth that's what i want to (laughs) say awesome well to our audience that's what we got for you for this week of recording coming up we're going to be having on local entrepreneur Nick Dobson, somebody who has sung Tamara's praises a lot and um, USI's efforts. So we can't thank you enough for listening and the people in our community go out there and make the magic happen.